Welcome to First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. So today we remember the moment when the disciples witnessed Jesus leaving this physical world. He'd spent some quality time with them, helping them to understand more about their faith and the continued mission that they must now carry on in the world. He asked them to encourage people to a change of heart, to believe in hope and life and love. That was his message on earth. We've been reading some of the apostles' letters that circulated among the early churches. They read these letters as they gathered together for meals and prayers. Here's an excerpt from a letter sent to an early Christian community. We can imagine it being written for us as a community that needs faith and prayers and a spirit of wisdom. It comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? Jesus told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there, staring into empty sky, Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, You Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So they left the mountain called Olives and returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over half a mile. They went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. Peter John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They agreed. They were in this for the good, completely together in prayer, the women included. Also, Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. From 1 John's 4 verses 7 through 21, and this is from the Message Bible, God is Love. My beloved friends, let us first continue to love each other, since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So no one can't know God if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that God loved us and sent his only son as a sacrifice 
to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him. And he is in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for us and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that God is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it, heart and soul, this love that comes from God. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in the life of love, We live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home, and mature in us so that we're free of worry or judgment on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love to love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. God loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister and thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, How can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. The word of God for the people of God. God. So it's all about love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And this is how God showed God's love, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us, for God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him or her. So we love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister or neighbor, they are a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, sister, or neighbor whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And God has given us this command. Whoever loves God must, must love his brother and sister and neighbor. Again, in a word, it's all about love. Full stop, no exceptions. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? I'm not speaking of a desire rooted in lust, but real love. Truly, madly, deeply kind of love. The kind that causes a gnawing in the gut, or is it nausea? An aching heart, maybe even fear. Fear that the seed of love won't bear fruit, but will die for lack of reciprocal feelings. Do you remember? Though I'll speak about a better phrasing later, at least... From a Christian perspective, falling in love with another person is risky business. You might say it's something of a gamble that might pay out a jackpot of joy or a big bucket of pain. While there are those who throw caution to the wind, rushing right in to put their heart on the line, most people move a little more cautiously because taking the risk of wooing another often creates some anxiety and fear, fear of rejection. Fear of knowing the pain of a broken heart. Perhaps some of us remember that kind of pain as well. I remember when I first met Claire, it was 45 years ago. I don't feel that old, but we were both students at Adrian College, and over the over a course of a couple weeks, as I got to know Claire, there was this gnawing in my gut, that ache in the heart which began to grow. So not being one to throw caution to the wind, I made every effort just to hang around Claire, to get to know her, to learn more about her. And you know what I finally did when I decided to roll the dice? I asked her roommate Janet out for coffee. (laughs) Because I wanted to know even more about Claire than I already knew, and Janet seemed the best person to fill in the gaps, as I would say. But you see, that's the thing. When you're truly falling in love with someone, the first thing you want to do is learn all you can about them. What they like and don't like, what interests them, what doesn't, what they find meaningful in life, what you have in common that might form the common ground on which a building relationship could grow. One thing Claire and I had in common was being Greeks, not by family heritage, but by fraternity and sorority. She was a tri-sigma, I was a phi-kappa sigma, and our chapters happened to be siblings. That is, we did things together, her sorority and my fraternity. We were also both studying sociology, and we were both United Methodists. But I know you don't want to hear all that TMI, as they say, like watching someone else's family movies. So here's the point. When you love someone and they love you, you not only take an interest in each other, you also begin taking an interest in the things that interest each other. Not because you have to, but because you want to. 
And as you draw closer together over time, certainly not in all areas, but in many, you begin to become more alike. Never in my life would I have thought I'd shave my head. But because I love Claire, and because I wanted to demonstrate that love in a tangible way as she lost her hair following cancer treatment, it wasn't exactly the plan to rub heads in the hospital the day I got back from being away. But when I walked into her room straight from the airport, she wasn't expecting to see me with no hair on my head. And when her cancer came back in 2021, I did it again. But I let her do the shaving. That's trust. (laughs) But that, my friends, really is more the power of woo or the power of love, if you prefer. And I don't share that to toot my own horn, really. It was just the easiest, most practical way in those moments to remind us all that this is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. God so loves us, God took on human flesh to become like us so God could meet us right where we are. We do not worship a God who is remote or distant or unapproachable. We worship a God who loves us so much that he meets us in the crucible of life. God has a deep interest in each and every one of us, every one of you. And God's heart aches as God tries to woo us into relationship. One of the fascinating things about Jesus is the ways in which he talked to people about the kingdom of God in terms they could understand. He knew about the things that were a part of their lives. For those who tended sheep, he used metaphors of sheep and shepherds and wolves. For those who raised olives or grapes, he used metaphors of tree and vine, root and branch. The gospel, the good news of God's love and grace will always find a connecting point in the lives of people no matter the culture or the particular point of time in history. The gospel message is always contemporary because it's truly and completely eternal. Jesus loves us enough to meet us right where we are. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman just earlier this year? I preached on that text. Isolated by her less-than-loving community, she went to the well alone. In the midday heat when no other people would be there most of the time. But on this occasion, the Bible records, Jesus met her there. She was a Samaritan, a woman, five times divorced and now living in sin. But do you remember her proclamation when she raced back to witness to her community? Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Jesus knew her completely and truthfully. He knew her better than she knew herself, just as he knows all of us better than we know ourselves, and yet he still loved her. He did not condemn her. He invited her into a new life, giving relationship, which is exactly what Jesus wants to do for everyone on this earth, including all of us. Jesus attracted people by wooing them in love. He met them where they were, spoke in terms they could understand, demonstrated compassion and understanding of their particular life situations, and spoke a word of grace and love. 
And because he cared enough to show that personal interest in them, more often than not, they showed an interest in him. They began to follow and to listen and to love him in return, and ultimately they began to be transformed. Again, it's all about the power of love and and woo, having first loved us and having demonstrated that love not only in meeting us where we are, but in giving his life for our sake. We love him in return. I've used some of the imagery of falling in love, but a folk singing friend of my sister, Anne's, wrote a song a number of years ago that, well, I guess I agree with David Roth's, not the David Roth, (laughs) folk singer David Roth, about what he says. Everyone looks for their calling in love, but I always find it surprising the way people say that they're falling in love when I always felt I was rising, floating right off of the ground and reaching something I only have dreamed of. I'm not falling at all. I am rising in love. So where does that rising in love, that resurrection to life in God who is love lead us? To love others as God has loved us because they are God's greatest love and ultimate concern. Nothing matters more to him as evidenced in his giving himself for us. And so because we love the God we meet in Jesus, we share that same interest. And this is the heart of the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Greater love hath no one than to lay down their life for another. So the first and most critical task of the church and the Christian is to woo others into a life of love in Jesus. Just before Jesus rose to the right hand of God, he instructed and promised the disciples, you will be my witnesses. Or to put it another way, you will woo too. You will woo people to Jesus. But first go to Jerusalem and wait until you receive power from on high, which is Jesus pointing to what's going to happen next Sunday on Pentecost. We can't do it on our own. We need the power of the promised advocate or Holy Spirit. After he is risen, they're standing around watching the sky, but then the angel of the Lord comes and says, why are you standing around staring up at the sky? Our focus isn't to watch and wait for Jesus' return, but to be about doing Jesus' work, to do what he's called us to do. So go, pray, wait for the Spirit, and then when you've been empowered by the Spirit of the risen Christ, go woo, win others over. God so loved the world, God sent Christ to woo you too. We are all called to go and woo too, but use your woo wisely. Don't manipulate people. Don't seek to control others by fear and judgment. Speak from your own experience, witnessed to what the love of Jesus Christ has done in your life. Focus on building relationships because you don't stop relating to others any more than you stop loving them. Just keep at it. And don't give up until love and woo win. Would you pray with me? Oh God, your love is so amazing, so amazing and 
and wonderful and beautiful and available to all of us freely who will just accept that you care so much about us, you want to save us and have us experience life in your love. May we carry in our hearts and minds this love and woo of Jesus that we might share it with others we know who are in need in particular, but indeed for all the world. In his name we pray. Amen.